Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Mackie and Judd from the TCL Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. Rose against Exum. High flyer off the glass. Tough shot. Rose back to work against Rubio. You know, we're seeing a flash of his rookie year. Before the knees. Inside. Kick it up and in. Rose guarded by Exum. Search dribble. Drives on Rudy. Stops. On a dime and put it up. Dante on his hip. Goes under. Shut it down. Push shot. Good. Oh. 48 points for Rose. 50 point night. The time machine. We're living in it right now with Rose. Unbelievable. A lot of hard work uh, put into my craft. And um, it's all about rhythm. Like I said a couple of days ago, it's all about finding my one-two into my shots and knowing like what to do in the game and figure things out during the game. And coming back here, like being comfortable with Tibbs and the staff, just playing basketball, just being happy playing. That was. It's we're not dealing with the most storied history here, a Wolves franchise. It's not like there's. It's not like there's ten Boston Celtics type moments on a list of <laughs> things to celebrate the last thirty years, but. Regardless of circumstance and where things are with this tumultuous team and franchise, let's just take all that stuff away in terms of a moment on a court inside Target Center or in Wolves history the last 30 years. That's one of the more memorable ones. It's not KG bringing Uzis and clips to Game 7, but yeah, I mean, it's pretty high up on that list. I would say it's it's not also KG probably coming back like he did in the game against Washington, but it's in that next echelon, right? Yeah. Because that was... For one night, too, given the circumstances, given the fact that the crowd was was very small and potentially was going to be incredibly toxic, when Derrick Rose went to the free-throw line uh, to try and complete a three-point play in, in the first quarter there, there was a couple guys chanting MVP, and they were mocking him. And for by the end of the night, the whole building that was left there chanting MVP and him crying... Yeah. It was it it was fun for me because I went to see the dumpster fire, just the ambulance chasing end, mm-hmm. and you go to that game and it's one of those it's why it's why I like sports because you just go to this arbitrary game and you're like this game's going to be awful and the Jazz are going to win by forty yeah and Derrick Rose goes off for fifty yeah and I thought th- so this team is so fractured and there's just been so many things publicized and everything. Everything is playing out in front of us. Jimmy Butler drama and him not playing last night and Carl Anthony Towns and all these things. And and lo and behold, the unifying figure that gets everyone celebrate and everyone in tears and the post-game locker celebration where they're spraying water or whatever it was all over each other. Mm-hmm. Derek Rose as a unifying figure on this divisive team is one of the more interesting stories, too, from last night. Right? That it was, it's this... Tim's and, second favorite player. Yeah, it's a guy... It, and it, I don't know if Tibbs brought Derrick Rose in because, okay, he's the one that's going to unify this and he's the one that's going to bridge the gap. But if you think about it, Jimmy Butler was brought in to bridge the gap between Tom Thibodeau and Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, to be that, all right, he's a Tibbs guy and he's going to show him how it's done. And he's got all this credibility as a player and he's going to show these young guys how it's done and and be that good cop to Tibbs' bad cop. And it turns out they just had two bad cops and Jimmy Butler hates those guys. <laughs> right. I, you know, Derrick Rose, I don't know how much of a good cop Derrick Rose is. And, I, and to be totally honest with you guys, I don't even know how sustainable his performance or durability is. And that's another, con- at all. another conversation. But <laughs> right. but Derrick Rose as the unifying figure that Carl Anthony Towns 
gravitates toward a little more. And as the go-between Tom Thibodeau and the young players is something I hadn't thought a lot about, but last night it was pretty obvious. And play and play Cat on Rose, because this this is a a portrait of how he feels about him. I mean, it was amazing. I, like, he's been through so much, and he deserves the world, you know, and just who he is as a person it speaks more just than who he is as a basketball player. You know, he's someone truly special, and we're very... Uh, I, I said the same thing. I'm, I'm going to go home. Uh, I'm going to go to my house. I'm going to grab my rosary, go to the church, and thank God again that he's uh, here as a Timberwolf. Yeah, do you think he ever says anything anywhere remotely similar about Jimmy Butler? Pro- no. Probably not. I don't even think no. Cat has, has Cat even really publicly said anything about Jimmy Butler since since the, well, because Michelle Steele came up from ESPN. She came up and she talked to Cat, I think, on the first day of media day. And everybody was looking at that when she brought up Jimmy Butler to him. He, his like his cat's face facial expression kind of changed. He was yeah. smiling and then it just kind of dropped. I don't think I don't think Cat has really yeah. said much of anything publicly about Jimmy since then. So on Derek, do you think? And I I can only speak really for for me and Judd Manny because because the the Derek Rose thing came about before you joined our show. Mm-hmm. So I'm not totally well versed in what your initial opinion was when the Wolves brought in Derek Rose, but I can tell you Judd and I were pretty unified saying, "All right, this is such ridiculous nostalgia. I get that it's a league yep. minimum contract and you're just you're bringing it, but you're literally leaning on it's just this pattern of you can't let go of the 2011-12 Bulls. Is is can you empower a first-round pick? You know, can you get can you get Tyus Jones to play a few more minutes? Or can you be a little more creative in what you're adding to the roster? Mm-hmm. Did we did we shortchange the decision to bring Derrick Rose in? Did last night prove us wrong? As a lot of people on Twitter, at least in my timeline, were quick to say, waiting for your apology at 4 o'clock tomorrow. I'll throw it out to you guys first. Were we wrong, at least me and Judd anyways, Manny, were we wrong about the decision to bring Derrick Rose in? Did last night prove that we were wrong? No, <laughs> you, you say I that with some hesitance. Well, no, I mean, listen, I I was when when they brought him in, and I was doing the show with Pat and Reavers at the time, and I was Pat asked me how I felt about it, and I said this doesn't help them at all. They need shooting. They need versatile. You know, def, they need a versatile defensive wing. They, they need a guy who can stretch the floor, and Derrick Rose doesn't do any of that. So it doesn't. You know, and and even when they got to the playoff series with the Rockets and Derek had a nice series and he hit a couple threes and even then it was just like this is not this, this he's contributing but this is not the direction that they need to be going in and bringing in a player like this who's just sort of a in-between sort of player right now and even now even after last night I still don't I mean let's let's be honest here he wasn't shooting the ball well before last night Seven games into the it's season, thirty-eight percent, thirty-eight percent, twenty-six from three. Yeah, you know, so it's and the it's, most shots of anyone on the team. <laughs> and 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 I and I told Judd last hour. I mean, last night was, I mean, great for him in terms of his performance. It was a fabulous performance. But we've also seen Corey Brewer and Mo Williams drop fifty points in a game for this franchise. So it's 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 kind of one of those things where last night, look, the, <laughs> it was it was. Five o'clock on a on a dead clock that was sitting at five o'clock. Like a dead clock is right what twice a day. That's the old thing. I mean this this happens sometimes where a guy just catches fire and he can't miss and he makes great plays and he ends up with fifty points in a game. But long term, I don't think this really means much of anything in terms of is he right for this roster or is this roster going in the right direction? I think it was a fun night and that's kind of where it stops. Nothing that the Wolves are doing right now means a thing for for the next game or the future. Everything is is in in the here and now, and it's short term sugar highs when when it's good. Jimmy Butler on Monday, thirty two points. LeBron and the Lakers game was sold out. It was fantastic. It was great fun. It meant nothing. He's going to be gone. Derrick Rose is thirty. His body is probably forty two. Uh, last night was fun to watch, but. Last night, all of these things are air freshener for this team and nothing more. They cover up a stench that's not going away. And they do it for a brief time period, but that's it. And I think, I, and I am, I don't know, I'm not, I'm turning a little bit more of a corner with Derrick Rose because 
you don't just put up 50 points on a broken body. I think it's I think it's obvious he's done a lot of work to get back to a certain point to allow him to play with the energy. Well, hell, remember on the show yesterday, I I told you guys I have a hot take about Derrick Rose. I actually think that watch his energy, watch him play, and I didn't mm-hmm. think you if you would ask me, well, is he going to score 50 points? I would have said, well, no, that's ridiculous. But to get back to a point physically and energy-wise where he can go out there and drop 50 is a pretty interesting accomplishment. Now, if you look at a list of players who scored 50 in a game for the Wolves, it also includes Corey Brewer and Mo Williams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so it's right. so random occurrences can happen. But I think based on how much those guys gravitated to him, how much energy on the court he's shown this year, and also based on what Carl Anthony Towns, the central figure on this team and the one that you have to please and the one that you have to put pieces around, how much he clearly respects and honors Derrick Rose. And we're getting some phone calls, so 651-646-8255-877-615-1500. I would almost rather see at this point a Derrick Rose without Jimmy Butler scenario on this team. I don't I don't think I don't think you can push forward here with Jimmy Butler and Derrick Rose and Jeff Teague and Wiggins and Akogi and like there's just too many it's too many wing players and and ball hogs but Butler's a better player than Derrick Rose no question Butler's a better player than Derrick Rose but Derrick Rose playing at a pretty high level not quite an MVP level from 7 years ago but like a better level than he's played at in 5 or 6 years and also meshes well from a chemistry standpoint with these guys, if it's if it's still a Tom Thibodeau creation here, I think I'd rather have Derrick Rose if I had to choose between the two of them. This sounds crazy because he's not as good of a player. I think I'd rather have Derrick Rose than Jimmy Butler right now. And you, and you would... On this team. On this team. And you will until he gets hurt, which he's going to again. Like, if you if well, he Butler, plays... I mean, Butler gets hurt, too. Well, sure, but but if, Ro, if Rose... If you put him in, in a complementary role consistently... And basically say guys like you, and that's great. Then I, I think it potentially works. If you put him in a role where he has to play a significant part of your game each night, he he's going to be hurt within two weeks. Yeah. So I just I think you have to look at this as a really difficult situation, a season that that is really weird and dysfunctional already. But when something good happens, it's a sugar high. And last night was I. Hey, listen, it was, it was so fun. much fun. It was a lot of fun. But don't, but don't, don't confuse what I'm saying with with me saying that it wasn't fun to watch last night because it was fun to watch. But do I think it's something that's going to last? Absolutely yeah. not. But yeah, but I a, wouldn't. But that. But again, it's why sports are so much fun because they're weird. Weird things happen. Yeah, I score fifty. It was legit one of the most fun things I've seen. In a Timberwolves game in the in the thirty years of existence, which is I mean, really sad just, too. But that's fine, of course. It it was, but he's Derrick Rose turning back the clock, a unifying figure on a on a divisive team. One thing I don't get is that it, it's it's almost like it has to be one extreme or the other. It's either well, it doesn't matter because this team is going nowhere and Grinch, 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 or you guys were wrong about Rose yeah. and this proves it. And I, and I think. It's okay to say two things. This is why I don't get the shaming of if you if you doubted Derrick Rose or pointed out the obvious, which Manny just did a little bit ago. He came into the game last night taking more shots than anyone on the team through seven or eight games at a 38% clip and 26% from three, and he's just launching multiple threes a game. Like This lack of self-awareness as a player has been a thing for him for a long time. So to, it's I think it's fair to point that out and his lack of efficiency as a player and question whether he's durable enough or whether you can sustain that style of offense and acknowledge how incredible he was last night turning back the clock. Absolutely. Can. It can be both. It can be both. Well, yeah. It's kind of like it's kind of like Kobe's last game with the Lakers. Yeah, for where sure. Where he dropped 60 on ironically Utah. You guys doubted Kobe. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, it's it's I mean, he took was it 54 shots I think he ended up taking in that game? He was like 20 of 54 or something from the floor. Like a terrible percentage. He wasn't efficient at all. But he got 60 in his final game, and it was like that was just – it was a cool moment. But let's be real. Like Kobe was not a good player anymore at that stage of his career. Like his last season, his 20th with the Lakers, he just wasn't a good player anymore. But that moment – at the end of a abysmal season for the Lakers, he went out 
with 60 points and a great performance, and you're like, yeah, that was that was cool. I think the the most important thing last night is Towns. When Butler doesn't play, Towns looks like a different player. And, mm. and, and now, on Monday against Los Angeles, Towns was pretty good. But look at Towns' line last night, and look at how he played. And this all goes back to why I think if, if you're the Wolves and you're being smart about this, you have to pick your path. And Carl Anthony Towns, and this might be a fault, but he clearly feels empowered as a player when Butler's not there. And and you can't you cannot ignore that. Yeah, if obviously if there is a way to for Carl Anthony Towns and Jimmy Butler to be on the same page and for Butler to want to be here, then what I said ten minutes ago would be completely asinine. And maybe it even maybe it is even with the circumstances because Jimmy Butler is far and away the better player next to Derrick Rose. But a, a Derrick Rose on the mend and a Derrick Rose healthy who fits with the chemistry and players respect him and it's not just constant drama and questions about whether he's going to show up or not. Uh, There's something to be said for that peace of mind, right? So let's take one call on this here. Juice in Roseville. You're on with Mackie and Judd, man. Hey, guys. uh, Love the show. Uh, Last night, it was as fun as it was to see Rose go off and, and get back to his old self a little bit. It, it's kind of starting to make me feel, about a week ago, my, my worst nightmare. We move on from Butler, whatever plays out eventually, but Taylor doesn't want to move on from Tibbs, and so Tibbs re-signs Rose to some crazy contract for four years, <laughs> and he's injured. Yeah, that, well... That that could that's never happen, almost, Juice. I mean, that's, never with the that's Timberwolves. A non-zero, that's, non-zero. Juice. That was my that. concern. Like after last season, was that they were going to use their mid-level exception money on to bring Derrick Rose back on like a three-year contract? That was what I was worried about. Yeah. So. Well, it was. Hey, regardless of if if he if he doesn't play another game in a Wolves uniform, he's on the record books now as being one of the most memorable contributors <laughs> in the thirty years of Wolves history. Just based on what happened last night. Tom Pelissero, an early appearance here on a Thursday by Tom Pelissero, NFL Network. We'll talk Vikings and uh, preview this week in the NFL. Also, later this hour, Glenn Taylor joined Doogie earlier today on the Scoop podcast. And we've got some highlights and some clips from that. Glenn Taylor doesn't do a, lot, a whole lot of interviews and, and public appearances now, but he did talk with Doogie for about 20 minutes on the Scoop podcast. And we'll get to that later in the hour and the football hour coming up. Now, back to Mackie and Judd. Hello, boys. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios. So what do you think? <laughs> it's pretty cool, I guess. On 1500 ESPN. All right, let's check in on your traffic here. Just uh, one crash to tell you about right now. It's 169 southbound in Edina. Uh, we've got a crash between 494 and Anderson Lakes Parkway, and that's adding about an extra six minutes to your commute. Uh, so be on the lookout for that if you're headed southbound on 169 near Edina. Come on! Football! That's right, football time. NFL Network's Tom Pelissero joins us now as he does each Thursday, ordinarily 515, but we uh, bumped it up a little bit today. I understand, sir, that you have the honor of covering Chiefs-Browns on Sunday, which ordinarily I'd say, oh, like, yeah, what? What the heck? But this Brown story... It's turned out to be so rich and delicious that if if I was you, I would be absolutely thrilled to be covering the Cleveland Browns. I thought you were going to say that I should be excited to be covering Patrick Mahomes and MVP candidates, no. Tyreek Hill, Kareem Hunt, Travis Kelsey, all the other stuff. They're normal, they Tommy. I don't care about normal. I want dysfunction. Bring on the Timberwolves-like team of the National Football League. This is the fourth or fifth time since early August that I have gone to Cleveland. And every time there has been, I don't want to call it controversy, but there's been some major stories surrounding it. The first time was uh, the first day back at practice after Baker Mayfield made made his preseason debut. Hugh Jackson told me that day, we're not giving him any first-team reps. Tyrod Taylor's our guy. Yeah, you get a week and a half later, there was something else going on with him. And then you know, a month ago, it's, of course, Mayfield. I was there for his first home start. Now you got a coaching change, an offensive coordinator change. I mean, it's remarkable, even when you isolate this season um, from other seasons where the Browns have had so much turmoil. And, you know, one of the running uh, kind of themes here, particularly in these last few changes, is they've yet to find people who really can work together. I mean, you go back to when Jimmy Haslam first bought the team and you had the 
front office of Joe Banner and Michael Lombardi. That didn't work. And you had the Ray Farmer, Mike Petton combo, and they were sniping at each other by December in the media. Uh, then you had Hugh Jackson, Sashi Brown. Sashi loses that one, gets run out last year. Now he was out. Now with John Dorsey as the GM. They, they just need you know those guys to be lockstep. They're the two most important relationships in the NFL are the quarterback and the play caller and the coach and GM. If guys are not on the same page, you're going to have a mess. And, you know, really the Browns have had a mess for about 20 years now. So, so Tom, okay, how much of this with the Browns is, and any other franchise that turns over and turns over and turns over, and the Browns are, the Browns are just the kings of this, but how much of it is lack of patience versus bad hires? Because think about this. If you, take the, if you take the job as a coach or, if, or the head of the front office, Almost everyone that steps into that franchise for 20 years, the first reaction I'm sure is, whew, okay, wow. Uh, the culture's a disaster. People hate being here. Um, you've got no quarterback for the most part year after year, and we'll see about Baker Mayfield. And the scouting systems have to be revamped. It's, it's, it's like literally building a house from the ground up every time somebody takes over, it seems like. But then they only get two to three years. Well, what if it takes five years to build the house and public pressure leads to turnover before you really know whether someone succeeds or not is it impatience or is it bad hiring well i think that the perfect example of what you're talking about was the fact that they hired sashi brown who had no scouting background he was a cap guy who would come over from jacksonville to be the decision maker you know which is a baseball type of hire they also hired paul Podesta away from the new york mets they were going to have this new you know analytic based approach and in many ways it made a lot of sense because ray farmer with a bad team, had assembled one of the oldest rosters in the NFL. All their high-paid players are upwards of 30. You know, he infamously gave Dwayne Bowe a bunch of guaranteed money on a deal. and you know, they Eventually, that was uh, you know, one of the first things I believe John Dorsey did was cut Dwayne Bowe and just say, enough's enough. Um, you know, sometimes you have to make, you know, you have to say, okay, we're going to try something different here. And everybody knew if you're going to do the teardown, you need to do the rebuild. Well, the issue was when they brought in Sashi Brown, Again, he didn't have a scouting background, and so they were ending up making decisions uh, that were, you know, seemingly based upon different studies they had done, and you know they invested in different studies on quarterbacks, on receivers, all these different things. Well, then you also had just some misses because they weren't identifying players. And I remember one GM telling me it seems like they are scared to draft players, you know, because it was we trade back and back and back, we get all these picks, we get all these picks. Okay, eventually you have to take a player. You trade back twice a year, whatever it was, you take Corey Coleman for the first-round pick. Corey Coleman now is hanging on to a practice squad somewhere. It was like two years ago. Um, that's what they realized was that, okay, you can have this analytic-based approach, and smart teams are all doing that within the NFL, but you still need someone who can get players. So now you swing the pendulum back. You go to John Dorsey. He's a scout at heart, longtime college scouting director. Uh, you know, whatever the approach is, right, you have to have somebody on patience, but you also have to be smart enough to say, this isn't working, and several times now the Browns have very quickly realized what they're trying to do is not going to work. Tommy, is there enough talent on the Browns roster right now to turn this around in in a year or two? I mean, is this a similar situation to what we saw with the Rams a couple of years ago where they parted ways with Jeff Fisher and then you know the Rams found Sean McVay and he turned that around very quickly? Are the Browns sort of in a situation now where they just need to sort of find their their version of Sean McVay to, to turn things around and expedite things rather quickly? They should not be far from competence. I think that the big difference was the Rams were, you know, they were Jeff Fisher teams, so they were perpetually 7-9, and 8-8, The Browns have been like 0-16, 1-15. I mean, it's been really, really bad. Uh, but you looked at this team on paper this year and you said they, they should uh, be you know roughly a 500 team you know defensively uh, Miles Garrett's a really good player Denzel Ward their rookie cornerback uh, top top pick uh, looks like he's going to be really good you know they've got some other exciting players on defense offensively you have Jarvis Landry you have Nick Chubb who's looked pretty good you have Baker Mayfield who was flashing until he got the uh, full time job and now it's been a battle but that's not you know a shock it's not some kind of referendum on Mayfield he's a rookie quarterback. Who they intended to sit the whole year. Tyrod Taylor gets a concussion, or Tyrod, whatever we're calling him now, uh, gets a concussion against the Jets on Thursday night football. Mayfield takes over. And, you know, I was at, again, that was another trip through there. I was uh, at the press conference um, that following Monday when, when Hugh Jackson revealed that Mayfield was going to be the quarterback. And I said, Did you feel like you had a choice? You know, and he said, Well, you know, of course I, I had a choice. 
But, you know, really he didn't, because if you go back to Taylor, after everything they had been through, you know, there was an immense amount of pressure uh, on that organization. So, you know, Mayfield, it seems like we'll be fine, because you know, it, it looks like the game is not too big for him from all the coaches and scouts I've talked to. You know, but he's behind, a, you know, not the greatest offensive line. Uh, his receiver group has been really beat up. Rashard Higgins, who was probably his main threat, um, was injured uh, in his first home start. Uh, that that is not helped with like Higgins was back at practice yesterday, so maybe they get a little bit of help there. Now, to answer your question, that they should be competitive, and they've been in all these games. I mean, they've been competitive now. It's just a matter of you know, getting enough players. You're kind of pushing yourself over the top, and they have a ton of draft resources even headed into these next couple of years for John Dorsey and company to make those turnovers. Why did the uh, Packers trade HaHa Clinton Dix to Washington, and why did the Lions deal Golden Tate to Philadelphia at the deadline this week? It's somewhat similar situations in that both those guys were in contract years. They were players that those teams did not feel as if they were going to be able to resign because the numbers were just going to be astronomical. Uh, with Clinton Dix, it was inconsistent play, I think, above all else. I mean, he was, when I was doing my all-pro balloting a couple of years ago, you know, end of 2016, the people who were scouts in the league were putting him as one of the top safeties in the game. Last year, there was a, a clear... Um, diminishing of his play this year has continued to be up and down, even though I know the pro football focuses the world have him graded pretty high. They take a fourth-round draft pick for him right now. They think they've got some other young guys that they can put onto the field. Uh, with Golden Tate, similar situation. I mean, Golden Tate, you look at what receivers are getting right now. He's 30 years old, but that's not that old uh, at that position. He's probably going to command $13, 14 $15 dollars a year. Uh, the Lions were not going to go there, and they feel as if they've got Kenny Galladay, who's a really good player, uh, Marvin Jones. They've got other places they can go with the ball. They decided, again, uh, to take some value. And this is something that I know Phil would enjoy uh, digging into just because it does you know, kind of point towards some of the analytic approaches with this. It's fascinating to see how GMs right now are analyzing the compensatory pick formula uh, from both sides because – you know, comp picks, I think one of the misconceptions is that, well, a player leads, you get a pick. It's not how it works in the NFL. There's a complex and somewhat secretive formula that involves your free agent gains and losses. And the formula involves how much the player gets paid. It involves how much he ends up playing, uh, different types of factors. So, you know, for the, for instance, for the Lions, they trade away Golden Tate for the fourth-round pick now rather than what would be, the, you know, the highest pick you can get as a third-round pick, end of the third round out in 2020, it's a, there's a one-year delay on that. So you take the value right now that you know is pretty much on par with what you potentially could have gotten down the line. But also, you know, I had one GM who was uh, in trade talks this week telling me, you know, if I trade the player, guess what? I don't have to worry about signing a free agent later. I get my third-round pick now, and I can sign do stuff in free agency that's not going to impact the formula. So you've got different theories, and then okay, if the player leaves, if you're Dante Fowler going to the Rams, you know they just give up a third and a fifth for him, or it's Golden Tate, you just give up a third round pick for him going to the Eagles. Well, if he does walk, if you don't re-sign him, you've got a comp pick for, uh, coming back to you in a year as well. So the, you know there's different ways to kind of approach it. Um, the uh, GMs that feel like they can win now, you saw it with the Rams, uh, the Eagles, the Texans. Uh, those teams feel like they're equipped to win, and so you. You dish out the pick right now, and you figure out the rest later. Tom Pelissero, NFL Network, with us weekly on Mackie and Judd here. If we look at the current wide receiver statistics across the league, and some of these guys have played eight games versus seven games. Like Michael Thomas has played one fewer game than the Vikings have because uh, they've had their bye week. But Adam Thielen, as of right now, has a 13-catch lead on the rest of the league and a 115-113 yard lead on the rest of the league. What do you make of this? I think it's gone above and beyond just a feel-good, cool story when when you go from where he was five years ago. And I don't know if you know this, but he went to Mankato, Tom. He's from Minnesota. It's crazy. First time uh, hearing that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but to, to legitimately be the best wide receiver in the NFL right now is an incredible leap. What do you make of the story? Well, there's several different things. Um, one being that you know you do have a receiver on the other side in Stephon Diggs, who teams continue to respect the vertical threat that he brings. Um, so you certainly had situations where they've chosen to play a safety over the top, or to you know however you want to match up. You know sometimes you play your your number one corner on the guy you think is the biggest threat. Sometimes you play your number two corner and you play a safety over the top. Well, the point is. Diggs has gotten enough attention that at times Thielen, despite how productive he's really been over the past couple of years, uh, has continued to see favorable matchups. So 
that helps him out. Those two things are interconnected. The Vikings have not really run the ball. I mean, I don't know where they rank right now in rush attempts, but it can't be particularly high, even with Latavius Murray the past few weeks uh, kind of getting going. So you've been a high-volume passing team. Uh, that's another factor. Uh, I think that just, you know, Thielen's, I mean, we all know this, I think, that have been around that team. His work ethic, the way he practices people around that team talk about it, like him and Diggs go so hard in practice every day. It really has an impact on the rest of the team because they see that. You know, he's worked at it. He's, he's put on weight through the years. He told me back in May, this was their, May or June, that this was the first time in his career that in an off season, his trainer finally told him, don't look at the scale. Don't get on the scale. If you put on enough weight, you're big enough, just maintain, take care of your body. You know, he did a lot of stuff at home, I know, you know, wearing those, the boots and all the different stuff to kind of, uh, you know, size the body and get the body right um, at night. And in terms of him coming from being an undrafted receiver, you know, we have seen a little bit more of that, whether it's later round picks, whether it's undrafted guys. I actually wrote a story on this last fall just asking people within the league, you know, how do these types of guys, how does Geronimo Allison from the Packers get missed? You know, how does Diggs slide to the fifth round? In cases like Diggs, you know, as Mike Zimmer once told me, you know, Diggs kind of had a reputation at Maryland. That was a factor there. But, you know, part of it is you have – the proliferation of spread offenses at the college level. So you've got more and more players who are, you know, they could be a corner or they could be a receiver coming out of high school. More of them are being placed at receiver because teams, you know, it's, it's a points race, much like the NFL is kind of becoming here. Teams are putting up 50, 60 points. You want your best athletes at receiver. But then on top of that, think about it. Back in the day when people were running pro-style offense with two receivers on the field at a time, okay, so now you've got at most – two receiver prospects coming out of the given school. Now you might have four or five. You've got twice or three times as many draftable grades on wide receivers coming out of college, and so that inevitably pushes some pretty good players who might have been taken in the mid-rounds, late-rounds years ago into that undrafted pool, and teams like the Vikings are the smart ones that have been aggressive with using guaranteed base salaries as a way to get a leg up on the competition, sign some of their top prospects. Those aren't always going to be the ones to work out. If you're feeling, you also might have heard this one time, Phil, that he wanted to go to a tryout camp uh, to make it at Vikings roster. But oh, wow. sometimes Crazy. those guys, those guys get pushed down, and it's a matter of finding the right one in the right system and having a guy who absolutely works his ass off and feeling fits all those categories. Tom Pelissero, where are you at this weekend? Where can people find you on NFL Network? Uh, well, I'm currently sitting in the Kansas City airport. I really need to get a, a endorsement deal or something because I think I come on the show every single week. Uh, I'm inside security this week, so that's a, that's a good development. Uh, but I will be heading to Cleveland, so I'll be on uh, NFL Network tomorrow. And then live from the stadium both Saturday and Sunday. That's how big this story is. Saturday morning on Good Morning Football Weekend and Sunday from like 7 a.m. to kickoffs only on NFL Network. Awesome, You're so man. lucky. This is such great dysfunction, man. It's so much fun to watch. Such an ants chaser. They're, just, they're trying to push it down, though. They're trying to. This is that's the thing. You always come in though on the cycle of okay, now the dysfunction. Now we're moving forward here. The, the, the coaching searches. I'll tell you this too, guys. Those are going to be fascinating this year because I think it was Manny who said, you know, teams are looking for that next Sean McVay. That is a real thing, man. You are going to see. <laughs> I, I'll make predictions, but I will just tell you. When teams are looking into the candidate pool this year because there are not a ton of obvious, experienced veteran coaches, you are going to see some young, especially offensive-minded guys, guys in their mid to late 30s, early 40s, who are going to get jobs, surprise some people. And everybody's going to hope to be hope that's the guy who can develop their quarterback and put up all those points they need. Yeah, at San Francisco... Uh... Has a has a bright offensive mind, but I'm not even sure he can get Nick Mullins to perform at a high level tonight. That's hey, the starting they quarterback. Like Nick Mullins, I'm just telling you, worked for Favre down at Southern Miss. All right, uh, they, he's a guy that they have they have uh, liked in San Francisco. I'm not saying that it's going to be pretty to watch. You know, on either side tonight, those uh, two teams they've had a lot of issues, but they they do like Nick Mullins. I'm kind of interested to see it. I don't know. Tom kind of cut out there. I, all I heard was Brett Favre, Nick Mullins in the same sentence. So we'll see. What I had never today. heard of Nick until today when I saw his name. So there you. Have it. Bye, Tom. See ya. See ya. Tom Pelissero from NFL Network. Nick Mullins is starting tonight for the Nick San Mullins. Francisco 49ers. Guess Dude. what? I don't have to watch the game. <laughs> I honestly, swear to God, had no idea until just now. Who Nick that Mullins was? Nick, that Nick Mullins was starting at quarterback. Well, I didn't know that. But if like Judd I off never, microphone said, hey, Nick Mullins is starting for the 49ers, and I was like, at what? I at never, long I never I heard don't of know who that is. Yeah. Yeah. I had never heard of Nick yeah. Mullins yeah. until 2 o'clock. For them? What, is, yeah. What's going is he the punter? Who knows? All right, when we come back, Glenn Taylor joined Doogie just a couple hours ago 
on the Scoop podcast. You can find the full thing on 1500ESPN.com. We're going to play some snippets when we come back. The Timberwolves owner speaks next. Mackie and Judd will return shortly. Just a reminder, this station does not endorse this. On 1500 ESPN. Are you ready? Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios. We are ready. Now back to Mackie and John. Ready! On 1500 ESPN. All right, let's check on your traffic again here in the TCL Broadcast Studios. 169 southbound. We still got that uh, that crash near Edina. Uh, factor in an extra nine minutes. That crash is between 494 and Anderson Lakes Parkway. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Otherwise, everything else moving uh, rather smoothly. Gentlemen. Rose against Exum. High flyer off the glass. Tough shot. Rose back to work against Rubio. You know, we're seeing a flash of his rookie year. Before the knees. Inside. Kick it up and in. Rose guarded by Exum. Search dribble. Drives on Rudy. Stops. On a dime and put it up. Dante on his hip. Goes under. Shut it down. Push shot. Good. Oh. 48 points for Rose. 50-point night. The time machine. We're living in it right now with Rose. Unbelievable. The people that know him, right, they know the character that he has. When he, when Derek was the MVP of the league, his teammates loved him. He has courage, he has humility, and he has character. Right? So, you know, he's been through a lot of adversity. He's probably maybe one of the most mentally tough people that I've ever come across. He's got uh, great awareness. He knows what's happening everywhere. He knows who's doing what. He knows who's saying what. Right? I believe in this guy. You know, I've known him a long time, and i said this many times. When he's healthy, he's one of the best players in this league. Yeah, did, uh, we'll get to the Glenn Taylor sound here in just, just a moment, but one thing... I know. I know. Judd's not on Instagram. Manny is, but we get you on. We've been talking about this for. A while. We got to get you on. Yeah, Instagram. we have talked about it a bunch. You can just all you can just just post beer photos. That's all you need. We got to gotta do. get. We got to get you and Collar both on Instagram. Is Collar not on? He's not on there either. Well, Collar can just post photos of football plays. He can just have a yeah. whiteboard yeah, he and would. just post photos of football He'd embrace plays. That. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, sorry. But Jimmy Jimmy Butler is on Instagram, and of course he posts something last night. Was he on the bench? I did not. Was he? No, on the bench? he, did, he was he, not there. I don't think he so. was in the arena, and I think he watched the game in the locker room because okay. he came, he came in the post game press conference and yelled at Rose. Yeah, of course. and then left. Yeah, but okay. he was not on the bench. So that right there is a great. It, he loves to make it about himself. That's one thing we've learned about Jimmy Butler. It's not actually about the team and the cause and all of us as one. It's only those things if it's also about Jimmy Butler first and foremost. It's about Jimmy Butler. Yeah, oh, yeah I'm going to be there in a suit. You know, but it, it's about Derrick Rose, but it's really about me too. And he posted this thing on Instagram where it's him and Derrick Rose and it's like the cat. I don't have it in front of me, but the caption is something like, uh, actually, let me just pull it up here. Sure. I actually have it because I, I commented on it. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't. I commented on it because it's just it, I couldn't resist. All right, he he posted. If anybody know, I know. I seen this since 2011, and it's a p- picture of him and Derek Rose standing next to each other. I I I I knew this. I seen this. Yeah. It's not always about you, Jimmy. It's not always about you. There's 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 things bigger than you. Team chemistry. And it's like he doesn't have a clue about those things. I, I saw this and I, I knew you, this. I told you in the locker room on Monday night after that game, the Wolves players were talking about football players and in particular receivers. And Jimmy's buddy and Jimmy's guy, who I, th- I think he worships him, is Antonio Brown. He basically thinks he's him. So he sees himself. I mean, the easiest, the easiest way to describe if you were asked who is... Who is Jimmy Butler most like? He is a diva wide receiver. And yeah. those guys are all about that's why that's why Diggs is so odd. Thielen too, because they're not like that. But if you think about the star wide receiver makeup, personality wise, that's Jimmy Butler. Yeah. LeBron feels a little bit like Aaron Rodgers. And then he does he does get kind of pissed off at his teammates yeah. and he he'll say, mm-hmm. All right, bleep it, I'll just do everything myself. Um I'm trying to think of who Tom, the Tom Brady of Tim Duncan was kind of the Tom Brady of <laughs> The NFL. That's a good comparison, though. The Antonio Brown. Yeah. I don't know. Do you, 
And yeah, he's an amazing player, but I just, I, that rubbed me the wrong way. The Instagram post, that's like, it's not about you. If you want to post a photo of Derrick Rose and congratulate him, awesome. But it has to be about, oh, I well, saw this coming this. and I knew this in 2011. Well, wasn't okay. there friction between them in Chicago too? Well, wasn't pro- there a little bit of that? I There's friction between was. everyone and Jimmy Butler but, in Chicago. <laughs> but if you but if you were going to take a powder on your team and not play, right? You, you basically are picking and choosing games in which to play and not play. And last night you don't play, you don't come on the bench, you are a ghost. But then you can't help yourself because because Rose plays so well that they take the unusual step of having him do, do his own post game press conference in in the press conference room, mm-hmm. which, which is not the norm. And Jimmy can't help himself. Just stay away, dude. He's got to let right. Derrick Rose have his moment. And if you're going to be a ghost, be a ghost. Yeah, like let, don't come in there. You know, if you had played in the game, okay, okay, go in there. Like, right. You're 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 out there. You're going to war with your teammates. Somebody, uh, Jay Williams. I was watching the was at the jumper. No, it might have been one of those. It might have been like get up or something this morning. And they were discussing Jimmy Butler and the status here. And this, if you're wondering whether Jimmy Butler is sitting out because of general soreness or whether he's just sitting out, like Judd said, because he's pouting or he's trying to get his way with this trade stuff. He came back early from knee surgery to play in a playoff series in which they knew they were going to get beat in five mm-hmm. games or four games. They even, even Jimmy Butler, come on, man. You know the, this team isn't going to beat the Rockets. He came back early and risked further injury to his knee of course, yeah. to get smoked by the Rockets in a playoff series. And I get it. You come back early for the playoffs. You might not do the same thing early in the season here, but this is the type of dude that when when he wants to, he'll fight through some soreness and some injury, and he's deciding to not do that right now, just so everyone's cards are face up on the table here. General soreness. Right. Glenn Taylor, Timberwolves owner, was on, this is earlier this afternoon, about two hours ago, and you can find the full episode on 15 or anywhere you would find podcasts. Joined Doogie and uh, talked about the Jimmy Butler situation, talked about Tom Thibodeau and all kinds of stuff. We've got five sound bites here, ranging from, I don't know, 20 seconds up to a minute, minute and a half. Let's just play through some of these and react to a rare public interview from Glenn Taylor. This is Glenn Taylor to Doogie on Jimmy Butler sitting out last night. Last night when he doesn't play general soreness, do you just throw your arms up and say, what the heck? Like, he was so good on Monday. Like, you don't beat the Lakers on Monday without Jimmy. They don't practice on Tuesday. So how the heck was he sore and not able to play last night? Uh, I think it's that's a better question for Jimmy than for me. <laughs> <laughs> In case you're wondering whether there's a little tension there, uh, how about Glenn Taylor on patience through this trade demand process and making the right deal, and how do they go about this? Well, I have a responsibility to the teammates and to our fans that, uh, you know, we're not going to get the perfect deal. I know that, but uh, I've got to be out there trying to get the very best deal that I can. And, you know, part of that, I guess, is patience on myself. What is sort of happening is that that this the timetable for this is just a very poor one. The other teams, and, and including ourselves, were just putting their teams together. So, you know, they were ready to go with that. And then uh, most of them don't want to be disruptive this early into the season until they've sort of established their own uh, track record. And, you know, some of that's starting to pull out now. We've had some teams that have lost some games that that they didn't expect. Uh, it's still pretty early, but I think, you know, those are probably going to be the teams that will have the best opportunity to make a trade because uh, they won't be satisfied, uh, you know, with their record and where they're going. So uh, it's a tough one, but uh, I have to be patient, and I hope our fans will be patient with me. Okay, what, Judd, what do you make, and Manny too, what do you, but what do you make about him saying the timetable is a poor one, it puts us in a tough spot, when we know now, according to Jimmy Butler anyways, we know that Jimmy's timeline when he told the Timberwolves, I don't want to be here anymore, was like five months ago. Glenn has, uh, because Glenn actually addressed that in the course of the Scoop podcast at one point, Glenn is electing to completely buy what Tibbs told him, which means if that's a lie, he's buying it, hook, line, and sinker. And the thing, okay, but here's here's my question about what Glenn said as well, though. This whole patience thing is Glenn reflecting a realistic view of patience, or or is this Tibbs play to him? Well, we've got to be patient because I I will contend 
that Tibbs' goal is to have Jimmy walk in July. He wants to keep him, hold him here, and he doesn't care if he leaves in July if he can get most of a season, let's say, 60 games. So is the patience thing a realistic reflection of the smart play, or is that, once again, taking what Tibbs has told him and just going off that as gospel? Well, I just I want to go back to the timing thing. Like, okay, Glenn's talking about, well, the timing of this is, you know, unfortunate or, or whatever, but somebody is not being forthcoming here because Jimmy said it that he he said in the Rachel Nichols I'm going to go on this rant again (laughs) here we go he said it four (laughs) days he told Rachel Nichols four days after the season ended I told you know and, and again we don't know if that actually meant that he said four days after the season if he said Tibbs trade me but obviously he was not happy with the current situation of the team so did did Tibbs communicate that with Glenn Taylor at all? Was did did anybody even know? Like what is anybody communicating with anybody in the last 5 months? Okay, well that's a decent segue to the next soundbite from Glenn Taylor on the Scoop podcast. And I I haven't heard any of this stuff yet. I'm just reading sort of okay, this is this is what was said. So let's listen to this together. Does Tom Thibodeau actually want to trade Jimmy Butler? Does Tibbs want to trade Jimmy? Like, do you need to get Tibbs on board to actually come around to trade Jimmy? Well, I asked Tibbs that question. You know, I would say this. Those two have had a close relationship. The coach and Jimmy have both done very well working together. I just think it's uh, when he told the coach that he wanted to leave, I think it caught the coach off, you know, by surprise. He wasn't ready for it. So, of course, I think, you know, his plans was that Jimmy would be here. I think he would want him here. But, uh, you know, there's just times that if he, even if he wants it, if Jimmy isn't going to um, want to be here, I don't see how we're going to be uh, the team that we need to be. Can we all agree, <laughs> after hearing the last two sound bites, that, the reality of the situation in which we find ourselves is Glenn Taylor. Glenn Taylor considers himself a bystander. Those that last quote does not ring of a person who's in charge or taking charge. That last quote is basically talking about Jimmy Butler and Tom Thibodeau as if they are running the operation, and I just have all access to it. Let's keep going with this here. This is Glenn Taylor on Tom Thibodeau and Scott Layden. More on. His thoughts on those two guys? When I talked to them, I I thought the coach, uh, once the season started, you know, needed to concentrate on the, the team, um, and even more so because of the Jimmy thing. I just thought that he needed to give the players his attention and as much as he could, and and look at the alternatives when a player you know doesn't play, and like when Jimmy didn't play. I mean, he's got to make some adjustments and be really in tune with that so you know he didn't have any problem with that I mean I think he knew that too and and uh, there's no reason that Scott uh, can't be doing the uh, the conversations with the other team I mean he's a veteran guy he knows all the GMs in the league he's the GM here and and that uh, he can look at all the different opportunities Scott has a wonderful staff that can help him on the financial things and then you know, and my responsibility is uh, once they um, um, see different things, uh, they bring them all to my attention, even if we're not going to do it, but just so we know what's out there. And, you know, that's when I uh, need to get involved, and and at some point we'll pull the trigger, and, you know, that's part of my responsibility, but we'll all be on the same page. Yeah, he does. He just seems he's so for. For a guy who has owned this team for 20-plus years, bystander is a great word. He's just a willing bystander. While all of this stuff happens, he's not. He doesn't really come in and say, "All right, enough. I'm going to course correct this and make sure that this is going down the path that my vision says it should go down." Does he even really have a vision? It's almost like he's been trying to hire people for years that have their own vision, but then those people's vision is, you know, that you need trifocals to see it. David Kahn and Tom Thibodeau. Flip Saunders had a great vision, right. mm-hmm. unfortunately. I think you're right. Uh, and then this is this is Glenn Taylor on if Jimmy Butler will be traded 
by the deadline, which is in what, February in the NBA? Early February, okay. yeah. Is it a foregone conclusion that by the deadline, even if it's you know the first week of February, maybe it's still months from now, but but that you guys will ultimately execute a Jimmy Butler trade? I don't want to ever say you know that um, that you do it because there's a deadline or anything like that, but I think it's a fair question that you asked me, and my opinion is now is that that uh, opportunity will present itself, and and uh, it, you know it will happen, but you know if it doesn't, it doesn't, but. Uh, but my guess today is that that will happen. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah. No, he went on. If it doesn't, it he went, doesn't. He he went on to talk about what? He went on to talk about if Jimmy Butler is not traded during the course of this year, which I fully believe Tibbs has no interest in trading him, that Jimmy Butler will walk and and the Wolves will have a ton of cap room and sign somebody. He goes on to explain that. It's all yeah. on the scoop podcast. But they don't have a bunch of cap room. No, that They've money, got that Cat money and Wiggins signed. Yes. What is he talking about? It's just everyone can go listen after we're done and hear what the rationale is. Yeah, it, the whole interview is, is yeah, on 1590ESPN.com. No. It's the top link on our stories but or anywhere you find the Scoop yeah. Podcast. No, he, he does go on to say that. Yes. He implies that they're going to have enough cap room to go sign what basically amounts to a star player, even though, as you just said, they don't. Okay. They're, mathematically, that's completely incorrect. Do you want to call him or should I? Let's have Doogie call him back. But just so, so to translate that last quote, He's he's very nonchalant and flippant, and I don't think he's just I, I don't think he's doing that strategically to try and gain leverage. That's my sense. Maybe he's playing a higher level game than we think here, but this is just who he is. Correct. But so if it's true that in his mind he legitimately thinks, well, if we don't get a deal done, then I guess we don't get a deal done, and we'll just have his money off the books, even though the the wolves are over the cap, right? And it's not like they'd be freeing up max money for somebody else. They're still paying Gorgie Jang, so they've got two max players already, mm-hmm. and they've got Gorgie Jang and Jeff Teague, and so they're 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 closer to the luxury tax than they are to being underneath uh, the salary cap. So he's basically saying we've got this top fifteen player asset. And have, what, three months to turn him into something valuable that we can use to improve our team. And he's shrugging his shoulders and saying, ah, if it happens, it happens. Yeah. No, it has to happen. Unless you've got some reassurance that Butler actually does but, want to be here long term. All right. Which we've seen no indication of. But the flaw wow. the flaw in what you're saying is he sees himself as a bystander. Therefore, he is he is taking orders and or listening to people who don't want to trade Butler, and have flat out told him, if we get the deal, we'll make it. Doug tweets into the show, listening to Glenn Taylor talk about the Wolves like a manager at a hardware store isn't what I needed. (laughs) (laughs) God. Uh, Full interview, Scoop Podcast, 1500ESPN.com, or anywhere you find your podcasts. Matthew Collar will join us for the football hour, and we'll wrap with Roycey a little bit later on as well. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Just hold your ass right there. On 1500ESPN.